This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. Today we're bringing you a hangout from back in our archive. This was from 2014 and we were joined by Andy Hawthorne who heads up the Worldwide Message Trust. In this hangout, Andy is talking about 11 characteristics of churches that transform communities. You can find this full hangout, including a Q&A with Andy and all of the notes at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 10. So without any further delay, here is Andy Hawthorne. Evening, everybody. It's uh, lovely to be with co-workers at this time of the night. Um, Here we go. Here's a scripture I just want to read and then I'm going to pray. Um, this is what Paul said love this verse Acts 20 verse 24 my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus the work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love isn't that a great verse and uh, that's those people our life's worth nothing unless we do the work assigned to us by the Lord Jesus and that work is planting churches that plant churches and producing disciples. Um, we were massively convicted at the Message Trust about maybe um, 18 months ago, a couple of years ago, about the things we were counting. We were counting decisions, and our newsletters were full of 10,000 kids giving their life to Christ in various schools and gigs and settings. And uh, the Lord said, the only thing I'm counting is disciples. Now, we know that, but we've got this charge to go and make disciples. It was the last thing Jesus said to us, left ringing in our ears, go make disciples. And uh, he expects us to do that job with his help. And so we've been convicted. What does it look like? What's it going to take to see real disciples? And that's our job. And it's the most exciting, most gut-wrenching job in the world. So let's just pray. Lord, I pray in this time together, hanging out together in this virtual world, that you'll equip us to be better at making disciples, to fulfill your command to us, your commission to go into all the world and make disciples, real followers of you, understand what that means and produce more followers wherever they go. We pray for that, Lord. Pray that through our churches, through our ministries. Thank you, Jesus. Be with us in a special way now. Amen. Yeah, okay. So I was asked to talk about... um, churches that transform communities and i'm going to do a little bit of that let me just put some of this in context there tim gave me this nice introduction um we've been working hard in manchester really for 26 years ago i started uh, doing ministry out of a little business i had in manchester with my brother we had the dream that we'd see the kids that we were employing in that business uh, come to christ and and see their communities transformed. Our business was in inner city Manchester, a place called Longsight. Um, uh, New Frontiers have been busy over the years. And uh, But when 1987, when we first had the idea for this massive youth mission we're going to call Message 88, we really couldn't find a church in Longsight. 
that would engage with the kind of lads we were employing. There were little struggling churches, but they were the kind of churches that met behind barbed wire with the alarms on so these lads wouldn't get in. And across the road from our factory was the biggest church in Longsight, big old Anglican church, um, three or 400 years old. And yet it had been sold to an Asian knitwear manufacturer. And uh, we used to also embroider jumpers in our business. And uh, so we would deliver the jumpers. Somebody's just arrived. Hello? I wonder if Tim will introduce this person or should I just crash on? All right. Let me uh, introduce you. Uh, that is Sue. Hello, Sue. Um, I have muted you. So, Sue, do you want to just wave at the camera? There you go. Well done, Sue. And uh, Andy, I'll hand it back over to you. Okay, nice one. So I was just giving a little bit of the background uh, to the last 26 years of, of being involved with the message ministry here in Manchester and now, of course, all over the UK. And even we've just launched in South Africa last week. So we're spreading our wings a bit. But... Um, 1987, we had this fashion business in inner city Manchester. Across the road from our factory was the largest church in Longsight, and yet it had been sold to an Asian knitwear firm, and the pews had been pulled out, and uh, there were knitting machines rattling away. But still, the choir stores were there, and above the choir stores, it said, without a vision, the people perish. And this used to do our heads in when we uh, delivered our jumpers to this factory. And uh, somebody few hundred years before I'd had a vision for Longsight and that church would have been at the center of the community. The rector of that church would have been given the cure of souls, not just delivering sermons on a Sunday morning, but delivering education and healthcare and all kinds of service. And if anybody had a problem in that community, they would have come to that church. But somewhere along the road, that church had lost its vision. And so we organized this youth mission called Message 88. It's the biggest youth mission Manchester's ever seen. We didn't really know what we're doing, but God gave us faith to book the biggest rock venue in Manchester for a week and write to every church. And it was amazing. By the last day, people were queuing up at half past two to come in and churches were working together in Manchester like in a way they hadn't done for as far as I could see for years and years. And uh, we did it again in 1989. And then we launched the, the Message Trust and I left the business. The, uh, the day we had the vision for that initial youth mission, Message 88, God spoke to me in, in my bedroom through Isaiah 43, verses 18 to 21. Still our touchstone scriptures. We've still got massive banners up in our large meeting room now, 26 years later with these scriptures on. It says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Do not perceive it. There'll be rivers in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals will honor me. Those are formed to declare my praise. And, and I think those we haven't really moved away from those scriptures that much in 26 years. They've driven us forward. The fact that God does new things, not just like Isaiah, 1,000 years or 600 odd years before Christ, uh, not just me in 1987, but every day God's saying to his obedient people, see, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And God's new thing so often involves rivers in the desert, streams in the wasteland, the hardest places come to life, and wild animals who go from being out of control and lost to honouring Jesus. And so that's been the heartbeat of the message trust over these 20 plus years. And it's been a roller coaster, but now we have uh, over 100 staff here in the UK and thousands of volunteers. And, and we're just uh, spreading our wings to South Africa. A week ago, I got back from South Africa, an amazing time over there. And uh, it's been a journey. 
Everything we do is in partnership with local churches. We ain't going to plant churches, message churches. We've planted lots of churches in our time. We always do it in partnership because what we don't need is more denominations at the moment. That's my theory anyway. What we need is the ones we've got to get more missional, more engaged. And uh, so I was asked to speak about um, churches that transform society because that's the object of the exercise. The object of the exercise is not large meetings on a Sunday. Uh, it's it's churches that transform society. I, um, I, li- I like to think of church like the church gathering, like the 15-minute interval in a football match. You know, yes, we need to come together. Yes, we need to get some instruction from the manager. We might need a good slap. We might need some physiotherapy. We might need some refreshment. But the clock's always ticking. The real action is on the pitch either side. The real action for a church is not what happens in the gig on a Sunday morning or the Bible study in midweek. The real action is out there transforming community. We're not seeing communities transformed in Jesus type of church. I honestly believe that. So that's our heartbeat, churches that transform community. So I'm delighted to have that title and uh, be very afraid because I've actually got 11 points for you of a church that will transform a community. Uh, the kind of church that is going to be Jesus' kind of church that's going to not only transform its community, but multiply out that community to transform multiple communities. So 11 points, 11 things. that I haven't even got 11 fingers. So uh, 11 points. A church that transforms community will be firstly birthed in prayer and worship. Of course, you know that, but... Uh, there's nothing that we should be doing in our church plans that isn't born in, in prayer and worship. My job description at the Message Trust, when people say, have you got a job description? Yes, it's two lines long. Keep mission hot, keep prayer hot. If I keep mission hot and keep prayer hot, the rest of it seems to look after itself. And uh, we've got to work hard at keeping prayer hot. Let me just take that little thing off the screen there. Um, the message once a month we down tools spend a whole day um praying seeking god hearing our stories it's always story driven prayer and the best decision i made like 18 years ago when there was four members of staff was to give up a full day a month and now we'll have something like 150 200 people gather from all over the nation once a month every day at the message we pray even tonight every thursday there's a whole night of prayer 10 o'clock till 6 o'clock. So people will be praying at the message. We have months of prayer and fasting. We keep prayer. We're mission people. We're evangelists, but we keep prayer hot. And if we're going to see churches that transform communities, we have to work at prayer. We have to model prayer. We have to do everything we can to keep prayer hot. So the first point in a church that transforms community is as a leader that's serious about prayer. The second Second point about church plan that transforms a community is it involves everybody in the mission. We need to think, you know, you need to look at your people and think what percentage of your people are genuinely engaged. How many of them are trained in personal personal evangelism and how many are active in evangelism? How many are active on the pitch, not just active in the halftime interval? And this isn't the business of evangelists. It's for everybody in your church. Paul's charge, as you know, to Timothy was press it home on all occasions, convenient and inconvenient. 
That's your job as a church planted leader to challenge your people, all of them, to press it home, press this gospel home on all occasions, convenient and inconvenient. And the third, the third point of a, a church that transforms community is it's led by a missional leader. No such thing as a pastor who isn't called to evangelism. Somebody did some research, uh, Peter Briley, you know that man, Peter Briley, who's had this special anointing over the last few decades to depress us by telling us how bad the church is doing and how many people we're losing. Well, Peter Briley did some research on missiology, you know, how churches are shaped. And he reckons that 10% of every church have the specific ministry gift, the evangelist. So they are specially gifted to bring in the harvest. Well, I'm sure Peter Bradley's right about that, but he, um, somebody else has just joined us. Have they? No, whatever. I'll carry on. I'll have a sip of tea. <laughs> Peter Bradley said that 10% of every church are gifted specifically as evangelists. Well, yes, but my theory is the gifting always matches the vision. If there's a visionary leader who's passionate for souls, you'll find there's evangelists everywhere. If the, the leader isn't too passionate, there doesn't tend to be too many evangelists around. I mean, you know, if I went to some dead church on the corner that's got a few old ladies in it and uh, they'd lost the vision, they were just about keeping the doors open, and I said, how many of you ladies uh, are gifted with the gift of the evangelist primarily? You know, not many hands would go up. But I go to the all-night prayer meeting with Colin Barron, a few years ago in New Frontiers and there was 200 people weeping for the lost in Manchester and Colin said pray for the evangelists Andy and uh, I asked the evangelists to stand up those who were the primary gift of the evangelists over half the people there because the gifting matches the vision where there's loads of passion so the, the third mark of a church that transforms communities is it's led by a missional leader and I tell you sometimes we've got so focused on our under-the-bowl work that we don't see the fruit that Jesus has got for us. We need to lift the bowl, let the light shine. Fourth point of a, a church that transforms communities, it's focused. Um, we must ask questions like, what's our geographic area? What's our people group? How do we soak every person in that area in the gospel? What's our time frame to do that? We're, we're deliberate. We sometimes, I think, try to cast the net too wide. We'd catch more fish by being more focused. We also need to ask ourselves, what kind of church do we need to be to reach the, the lost people in our area? Um, I was uh, talking to this Anglican vicar called Robin, lovely guy who's got a little inner city church and, and New Frontiers, as they tend to do, had planted in the school next door. And I said, uh, how do you feel about that, Robin? Are you okay with that? And you know what this lovely man said? He said, I think it's wonderful, son. The way I look at it is more pubs, more beer sold, more churches, more Jesus. How right is that? We need to decide what kind of church are we going to have? Are we going to have a church for old fellas with flat caps who like real ale and or are we going to have one for kids that like flashing lights and fizzy lager? We're going to think, what kind of church do we need to be to reach the people in our community? So the fourth point is we need to be focused. And we're focused on that. We're not satisfied unless we're relevant to the people around us, the people we're focused on. The fifth point about a church that transforms communities is it's relational. Of course, the thing we've learned with 
with the message trust is it's more than relational, it's incarnational. We need to be in the community. People need to see our good deeds if they're going to praise our Father in heaven. Uh, it was Lawrence Singlehurst, I think, who said, you can't get a 10-ton truck over a one-ton bridge. And sometimes we rock up with our church plant, we bring the PA in, and we haven't got any relationship. We try and bring this great gospel truck into the community, but we haven't built bridges. We're not, we're not in relationship with the people. And some of the, you know, the exciting bit of the, the kind of festival model of mission, community action and engagement and random acts of kindness is that it builds that bridge. Well, we've got to be very careful, though, that we don't have a beautiful, shiny, 100-ton bridge and never bring the flipping truck over. Because, you know, I know churches like that as well. We need to be confident the gospel truck is going into that community, but it's going over a strong bridge of relationship. The sixth thing about any church that transforms community is it's repeatedly presenting the gospel. We need to make sure people in our communities hear the gospel over and over again. I love, um, I love William Booth, you know, William Booth, the founder of the, the Salvation Army. And um, I love so much about him. I mean, I heard this week that he, uh, he bought one of the first five Model T Fords in the world when that was the first motor car. And he bought one of those five Model T Fords and, and went the length and breadth of the country in his Model T Ford just because people were like, what is that? What is that machine? And thousands would gather and then booze would preach the gospel off the back of it. Love it. Ducking and diving and trying different things and repeatedly sharing the gospel. William Booth was one time, um, he was always strapped for cash as you know, church planters that transform communities can't stand to have loads of money in the bank because there's way too much need out there. So Booth was always pushing, 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 seeing revival on all fronts. And once a month, he used to do a prayer letter. But of course, this is way before emails. So William Booth's prayer letter was a telegram that you used to have to pay for by the letter to go to all his offices all around the world. And uh, sometime in the late 19th century, Booth basically had no money to pay for the telegram. It was supposed to be reports of all the different stories, all sorts of encouragement, newsletter from William. This newsletter in whatever it was, 1888, said this, April 1888, newsletter of General William Booth. Others. That was it. That's all he could afford. All he could afford with his telegram was others. But the guys out there never forgot that newsletter. It's all about Others repeatedly hearing the good news. People generally need to hear the gospel seven times before they receive Christ. Now, clearly some people, some Muslims, have a dream of Jesus, wake up on the knees, give their life to Christ. Most people, well, how tragic if we gave up in our communities when those people had heard the gospel six times and we think, you know, we're losing hearts. Um, so that's the sixth point, repeated, be repeated, repeatedly sharing the good news. It's the same gospel, different ways with the people in your community. If you're going to see it transformed. The seventh point is, it's obvious, but we need to be relevant. My, uh, my mate's a, a bishop and uh, I went to his enthronement 
I mean, it was really, I'm not joking, John Cleese couldn't have written this service better. It was the funniest thing you've ever seen in your life. You know, the more and more ridiculous outfits as these bishops and the Archbishop of Canterbury are fully expected him to come on a, a rocket-powered throne and kind of do backflips down the aisle uh, like the Blues Brothers or something. And, and I thought, how could we get further away from the carpenter of Nazareth? You know, if John Cleese had said, let's push the boat out, let's have a laugh, let's completely take the mickey out of the church, he couldn't have done better than that service. But you know what? Some of our charismatic stuff in the churches isn't much better. It's just ridiculous to a world in need. Some of the stuff we do, some of the wacky stuff we do that is basically unbiblical. You know, Paul's got all sorts of directions about ordering the churches because it's for others. It's not for us and our little thrill of the film. And we're in this weird generation, don't you think, especially young adults, where worship has become our core value. But what that tends to mean is it's all self-centered worship. It's we'll pay 20 quid to go and see our latest worship band in concert and we'll be gutted if they don't sing the song off their new worship album. And, uh, and we say things like blasphemous things like, I didn't get much out of the worship today. You clown, it's not about you. It's about him getting much out of the worship. It's about others getting stuff out of the worship. That needs to be our focus and our passion. And we need to work very, very hard to follow the master who ate and drank with sinners, who was a friend of sinners, who was utterly relevant, who told stories that sinners could relate to because he loved them so much. So the seventh thing is we need to be relevant and work hard and ditch things unmercilessly if they're not relevant to the community we're trying to reach. And I tell you, to do that is one of the hardest things in the world because you lose people, lose people who are into the consumer culture. But actually you lose people, you get some blessed subtractions, then you get some amazing additions. The eighth thing is that we need to be persuasive people. Um, we need to be confident that this gospel, if it's persuasively communicated, will bear fruit. The gospel works. It's lost none of its power. Find the gifted evangelists in your church community and use them often. Don't be afraid of big evangelistic events as part of your strategy. How was We were just bewailing at the message how few preaching evangelists are coming through. Young guys who boldly proclaim the gospel will find them, train them. The ninth thing about any church planting vision that transforms community is it needs to be faith-filled. Take big risks for the big goal of populating heaven and plundering hell. God commanded us to go. And what I've learned is he puts all his resources at our disposal when we obey. Faith, faith based on the command of Scripture proves irresistible to God. Um, I, I used to do this thing, this talk for our academy about faith. And I used to, it was called, I nicked it off John Wimber actually. Faith is spelt R-I-S-K, basically. We've got to be risky people. We've got to be taking risks for the big goal, like I say, of populating hell, populated heaven and plundering hell. And my brain, uh, my friend did a talk and his talk was called Faith is spelled S-U-R-E. And I'm like, you know, because faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we don't see. And I'm like, oh, no, is it S-U-R-E? Is it R-A-S-K? And, of course, I came to the uh, conviction that it's both. 
Faith based on the sure and certain word of God means we can take outrageous risks. But we've got to spend the time in prayer. We've got to get, get in the word and get God's heartbeat. I haven't got a license to go and book Old Trafford tonight because I'd, I'd like a lot of people to hear the gospel. I've got to get God's heart, God's wisdom, get in some accountable relationships, but then do some really, really stupid things on the back of that. Some stupid, faith-filled things. The time is too short not for people not to step out in faith. Better to, uh, I did this thing, I uh, was involved, I still am actually, this thing called Hope, in, um, in particularly in 2008, we did a tour of the nation, and um, we were doing some leaders things in the afternoon, I'll never forget one afternoon, This uh, we went to this church, and this rather angsty leader stood up and said, and he listed all these national initiatives that had all been a flop and been all this hype. And, and then he said, and how can you say that this hope away thing isn't going to be just another flop, another waste of money and time, and when we could just be getting on with working at our local churches? And uh, I was like, ooh, uh, <laughs> don't know what to say. Matt Pilavacci, I love him. And he said, uh, well, all I can say is, you know, I'd rather at least fail trying to reach lost people. In fact, you know what? I'd rather go down in a big blazing ball of fire, failing, trying to reach lost people, than do nothing. And I thought, go on, Mac, because that's it. We've got to take some faith, some big faith steps to reach our communities if we're going to see them truly transformed. And the tenth thing, the tenth thing in terms of church plants that transform communities is they need to be excellent. You know, Christians may put up with noddy publicity and shambolic events. Non-Christians won't. We've got to give our very, very best to the lost. We spend millions on our buildings at the church and, and yet you look at the, the church budgets and it's shameful how much is spent on missions, how much is spent on reaching out, how much is spent on our core raison d'etre. Well, well, blow your money on reaching the lost and make sure things are done with absolute excellence. And then my 11th and final point, it's actually probably 11th and 12th, but, uh, and, and this is the point above all points, really. My 11th point is any church plant that transforms community needs to be Jesus-centered and Bible-based. It's obvious, isn't it? But it's easy when we're immersed in need, especially when we're doing inner-city church plants, for the need before us to become the priority. We pour our lives and care for people, but it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can turn the blackest heart round. People have got to hear and understand the Word of God that can transform any life. It's not about our adventurous plans, not about our community action. It's about him. Basically, it's about his life, his death, his resurrection, and his coming again to judge the world. And we need to remember that day in, day out. It's all about Jesus. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures is uh, from Isaiah 61. You know what it says? Uh, out of the ashes, we'll see a oaks of righteousness a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That's the heartbeat of a, a church that wants to transform communities. Oaks of righteousness, real disciples, strong people, ready to multiply, but planted for the display of his splendor. It's not about the message trust or new frontiers or whatever else it is. It's about Jesus, his gospel. And the way we communicate that 
in our multicultural society will make or break us. The way we hold on to that and our passion to be Christ-centered, he's our inspiration, our, our faith in Jesus is our engine. And Paul had to deal with this, didn't he? In a society that, that proclaimed Caesar is Lord, he unashamedly and boldly said, as far as I'm concerned, Jesus is Lord. Wow, so much useful information in there. Hopefully you found plenty of stuff that you can apply into your own situation. Just to remind you, for the full notes on all that Andy was saying, plus the Q&A with him afterwards, you can visit www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 10. And on thebroadcastnetwork.org, you can find other church planting resources, articles, audio and video files, and you could let us know that you want to be updated about any upcoming hangouts that we have.